Hello everyone and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host Dave Ryan and I am joined on the line by the usual cast of characters. Firstly, he's the platforming prodigy. He's about to head off on his holidays. It's Mark Robinson. How are you, friend? I don't know about you, Dave, but I'm living at a you know, moderately cool 20 degrees or so Celsius at the moment and uh, <laughs> it is quite comfortable. Yeah, well, now I was, and then I, I noticed to my, my left-hand side that the heating had come on, so I had to send a text message to knock that off before I die. Um, but yeah, generally, I'm, I'm, I'm doing uh, quite well temperature-wise at the moment. Um, it's almost like somebody on this call mightn't be. The Roman Reigns of Audio, Jack Lazell. Jack, what is your melting point at this juncture? Uh, <laughs> It's disgustingly hot. There's this weird phenomenon, I'm going to say, that happens in England where we have, like, one day. Like, it will be hot for a day or two, and then one day we'll just balloon up into the mid-30s for no good or apparent reason before, like, it drops back down to a more manageable temperature. And I am going to be honest with you. The fact that I've been able to work from home today... I'm not saying COVID is good, but... (laughs) It is one of the small, tiny things that has helped out because the idea of being on a tube today uh, is just mm. absolutely sickening to uh, me. So, I, yeah. I've been on a couple of tubes during the summer when I've come to visit you guys uh, before Mark lived here uh, and still while well, Jack lives there. And it's fucking unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, there and, was, and that's not even... In th- imagine it in 30 degrees, Dave. There was the time where I had to go, and it was... Uh, Mark will attest to it, it was baking hot. It was right around the time we started the podcast, the time I nearly died, uh, and, and I was in the hospital uh, in Stevenage when I was over visiting them. Okay, the time I thought you hated me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was much later before you realised that was indeed true. Um, Some bitch. <laughs> when I got out of the hospital, Mark dropped me off at the... At the at the station and i ended up having to go continuously from tottenham hale to heathrow um and i was already ill getting out of the hospital i didn't feel great and by the time i got off at the airport i was like maybe i'll I'll just ask to be buried under terminal three at heathrow um it seems like it'd be an easier process at this point i I think um jack you like me have done like the entire length of the uh the piccadilly line because oh god yeah, yes because you can do it from one end to the other to get to heathrow airport and where well i used to live and where jack lives um like sometimes it's just convenient to go from there instead of having to like trek through london to get to heathrow uh and it's just it's miserable like it's about an hour and it's just the most fucking tedious journey mark i once did it three times in the space of about 14 or 15 hours <laughs> so i had a flight to shannon from heathrow um over to see my family on on the west coast is the best coast of ireland obviously big ups to shannon exactly and up the banner as always the most is that just a shed uh airport i've seen I've got to say. I don't know, dude. Cork Airport is insanely sheddish. I mean, yeah. I've never, I've always wanted to fly into Knock. Anyway, this is getting so niche. <laughs> yeah. I could talk about Reykjavik Airport, but that's another time. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty impressive, man. Um, I remember Glasgow being a bit bleak. Glasgow mm-hmm. Airport's just on fire. Yeah, I remember it being a bit bleak when I was there. Mm. Yeah, basically, I f- we got the train there. They were like, oh, like six or seven minutes ago the flight got cancelled because another plane had landed at shannon uh and like one of the wheels kind of like dented in and, and i thought and, we should see another plane landed at shannon and the concept of two planes at shannon was like just fucking crazy uh, 
Listen here, man. Do you know they used to land Concords at Shannon? Yeah. Um, what? To, yeah, so they would land a Concorde over at Shannon like, and, and refuel them a lot of the Dude. time because it has a massive runway. Dude, they used to land the American military there. That yeah. was the huge controversy over here because we are uh, a neutral country and during uh, Gulf War II, uh, the Americans were using Gulf Shannon Harder. to... Yeah, the Americans were using Shannon to refuel. So, like, if their big fuck-off fighter jets can stop over here and refuel, I have no problem believing that. So, one of the things I did in Shannon as a single-digit age young boy uh, was sometimes drive down to the airport with my dad or my granddad or one of my uncles to just sit and watch the planes at Shannon Airport because... yeah maybe you would have 15 or 20 flights a day that would go in and 15 or 20 flights a day that would go out but they would be landing all sorts of cool ass military jets like you said chinooks i've seen land there and yeah concord they would land concord there refuel concord and send them off on you know whether it was then going to over the atlantic or coming back across over this way to somewhere in the middle of europe but yeah, I d- <laughs> there was nothing to do in Shannon at all at that. There was a supermax, right? A pub, and you could go to the airport and and watch. Um, but yeah, I still love my time there. What a beautiful little town. It's a shame none of us have played Plane Simulator 2020 because this would be the most beautiful transition. But alas, uh, how much was that new flight simulator? The full I, version. It's, it's on Game Pass, so like I tell you what, and we'll be talking about it later. But Game Pass is just like my go-to now, so <laughs> I have no idea what full prices are anymore. Have you played Flight Simulator on Game Pass? I have not. No, I have Mark, been very busy. Can you please, at some point in the next month, and come on the podcast and, and tell us if you managed it? Try and land a plane at Shannon. <laughs> Do you know what? It's so fucking hardcore. I like that challenge. I, I'm up for that challenge. I might even try and stream it. Yeah, it's it's so goddamn hard- hardcore. I remember those flight simulator games being like really fucking difficult in like the 90s. At a certain point, it's just like, I, I will just go fly a plane. Like, I, I would <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I'll go learn. To... Putting in. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, What was that um game that was like oh you know it's not like rock band or guitar hero will teach you how to to play the guitar rocksmith yeah where it's at that point it's like i i think i'll just learn how to play guitar you know it's like it's it's crossing over from game to something else entirely but um but i think the idea of rocksmith is that you kind of just did learn to play guitar i i had the running theory back in the day that i wanted to get uh either rock band or the the first guitar hero with the drum kit because i was going to use that as like okay this is how i'll learn drums in an environment that can be fun as well and that dream lasted about i'll give it a week um (laughs) because i had excess student loan money and you know i was like 18 I love the way you said that sentence. I wanted to learn drums in an environment that could be fun. It sounds like you were pitching. That was your pitch to someone to let you buy a rock band. It was was a pitch to myself. It sounds like the start of the the Troy McClure advert for rock bands. (laughs) Hi, I'm Mark Robinson. You know me from such podcasts as (laughs) Faces for Radio and (laughs) Link to the Cast. We lived in a day of university where uh, a friend of the show, Michael Hobson, bought two Xbox 360s just because. So... (laughs) I just—I know a whole scenario ahead where Mark is like mashing the orange into his eye. He's like, "You mean there's another way?" <laughs> there's a- <laughs> oh, dear. what? Like he's just trying to headbutt a drum or something, yeah. and then he <laughs> realizes he can just get rock band. Just punching clean through the skin. It'd be great. Mark, why aren't you John Bonham now? That's what I want to know. I—I have asked when that did question. The dream die? I, I do like when the levy breaks, but uh, alas. 
it just sounds like it's in the biggest, widest, most massive space ever. Have you ever seen it might get loud? Yeah, they show you where they recorded it. Yeah, yeah. Because I was trying to think, where did I... I was like, where did I see someone talk about that? I was trying to think, was there a documentary attached to that Mothership Discs, uh, multi-disc set? Or no, it was It Might Get Loud, where it was uh, Jack White, Jimmy Page, and the other fella. Um, the Edge. <laughs> the Edge. Can you give Edge credit, man? He's <laughs> nah, not Bono. Nah. But <laughs> okay. no, there's actually there's actually a sequence in it that so closely mirrors the um the Bill Bailey bit about the catastrophic effects uh error at a U two gig that I just couldn't take him seriously anymore in the film after that because there's a point where he plays this massive kind of crunching sounding like you very U two sonically the U two sound, sound what like you'd the, expect yeah and yeah. he goes he goes to Jimmy Page this is what I'm actually doing and he just hits the master pedal turns it all off and he's basically going plink 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 but here's plink, the thing <laughs> so that that DVD was that pre or post the Bill Bailey bit. Uh, I'd have post, to, by several years i'd have to imagine he's seen that bit at some point you know someone's tagged him at some point down the line I don't, said, hey. see that's that's trying to live in a world where we're saying that anyone from u2 is self-aware and i'm not sure i'm there mentally i don't know man i think edges i think he seems like a good dude jack jack his name is the edge edge is a good dude no it's the it's the wrestler guy right adam yeah. copeland yeah yeah I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just saw him try and take down a money plane. Even he uses the name Adam Copeland on the like front artwork for that film. All right. <laughs> uh, he's Edge. Rock's rock. Stone Cold is Stone Cold. What, what is Steve Austin? Is it Steve Williams? Steve Williams. No, but he yeah, changed yeah. it to Steve Austin so he could still use Steve Austin when him and Vince were shoot feuding. I mean, that's better than changing your name to War Machine, but that's a story for another day. I wonder if he had to jump through any hoops when he joined SAG, because, you know, people can't be in SAG if they have the same name as someone else in SAG, so you have to change your stage name. So, you know, you go on IMDB and you write in someone's name and there's another actor with the same name. Yeah. But they have, like, numbers on there. They're like, this person, the second, this person, the third, or whatever. Mm. There's, like, um... Get Hollywood on the phone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Get the present of Hollywood on the blower. So I know... Um, oh, by the way, Bill Hedder is the president of Hollywood in whatever race that was. <laughs> Perfect. So I think it's a thing where, like, um, is it Emma Stone had to uh, ch- change her name to Emma Stone because her actual shoot name is somebody who's already quite well known. See, this is why I always thought you should have got famous, Jack, because there's no other fuckers called Jack Lazell. Was the, do you remember? Was it the was it the XFM radio show that yes. I did? Where was it? Um, Christian O'Connell. Christian O'Connell, yeah, where he was like Jack Lazell's the most rock and roll name I've heard of. Yeah, yeah. damn right, Christian O'Connell. <laughs> Though he also said I sounded about thirty and that I did cigarettes, and I was about fifteen at the time. So you do have that kind of world weariness, though. In fairness, like he's, he's hit the nail on the yes, head. Yes, but there. this is also a long seventeen years later. We're having this conversation right now. <laughs> no, but you sounded pretty similar, dude, when you were like fourteen, fifteen. <laughs> I think I was a little bit more nasal. Yeah, when you were thirteen, you definitely had the voice of a man in his early thirties. Yeah, I, I don't want to say that you like. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't guess that you would have sounded too excited even in the interview scenario, unless like in the middle of a Christian O'Connell like took out a big sandwich or something. Well, no, because it was also six o'clock in the fucking morning. <laughs> Do you know what? If Christian O'Connell had taken out a big sandwich and I was the one being interviewed, I would not have listened to a single word he said. I'm like, you just, <laughs> just people at home listening to X uh, XFM as two men wrestle over oh, a sandwich. Maybe twenty minutes talking about the best type of sandwich. Surely, I'll tell you, we got good some good press out of it though. It's like teenager accosts O'Connell eats sandwich. 
I'm sorry, but a Costco Connell, and then I just imagine comma eats sandwich, and then there's just a big picture of my dumb face yeah. on the front cover, like just hamming down on this. Yeah, it'll be a picture of somewhat akin to Homer eating the whole birthday cake. <laughs> yeah. I was on the front page where it's like local man ruins everything and it's just him riding like a drunken donkey with a howl. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying this is the best or worst 20 minutes to the opening of one of these shows we've done. But <laughs> Remember when this show was about video games? <laughs> and what's best is I'm segueing into something that still isn't video games. And oh, I'm no. seeing I'm seeing here on the schedule that, that no one else has anything in for it. So I'm just going to fire ahead myself uh, on the scene it for this week. Um, I mean, look, I've I've just watched a, a series and a half of Friends, so I mean, I think that's been discussed to death. So we're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are no fresh takes possible on Friends. No, no, no we're good. Done. Um, so I I've been doing in lockdown. I've been doing like a bunch of different rewatches, uh, start to finish. I did Steven Soderbergh, which was a, a long, tough and eclectic one. I've done Guillermo del Toro, and one of the bits of collateral damage there was that I made young Jackery Lazell watch uh, Pan's Labyrinth for the first time. Which... Good-ass movie. Wow, yeah. how is it there's a film that I've seen that you hadn't seen? That's I a mean, massive it, blunder. You've also seen the Street Fighter movie, and I've never seen that. So. <laughs> uh, but this is also something we need to fix. I would adjust your expectations if you think Pan's Labyrinth and Street Fighter. In fact, in fact, I'd fucking say I would have put Street Street Fighter overhead of uh, Pan's Labyrinth just for Raul uh, Julia's uh, performance alone. Like he's, are, he's, monologue, he's monologue about how um, for Chung Lee it was the worst day of her life, but for him it was just a Tuesday. Is one of the greatest speeches I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. What I will say at this juncture is um, the only thing that could improve Pan's Labyrinth is if Raul Julia played Vidal. Um, I would be <laughs> absolutely fucking on board with that. Um, Dude, I would love someone to spinning bird kick Vidal as the final, like, death. Yeah. That would be amazing. Like, spinning kick that knife that was already in him when they stabbed him just even further, like, the right the way through him. Show us your special move, Chun Li. I never did see the um, the kind of quasi semi weird sister sequel sequel the Chun Li film uh, that was apparently terrible. Um, I, mean, I mean, I'd probably watch that first. I like no, no. An awful lot. I mean, if, if Street Fighter the movie is the one people talk about, and they won't even talk about the other one, then yeah. that has given me a pretty good indication as to why I haven't seen it. Yeah, I just remember I heard it was terrible. Um, anyway, um, carry on. But yeah, so I did this Soderbergh rewatch, the the Del Toro rewatch. We've talked on the show about how I did the Fast and Furious rewatch, and we're still going to be on one Mark Robinson until he's watched uh, at least Fasts five and six. I'm busy on my early old Japan tapes at the moment, so sorry. <laughs> well, in some ways, uh, I would say that uh, Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, The Rock, and Jason Statham are the four pillars of heaven. I, I uh, swear to God, Dave, <laughs> that is the exact joke I was going to make. <laughs> I had it sketched out in my head, and I was like, I just need to wait for Dave to stop because I'm really excited about this joke, and he just fucking says my joke. So we need, we really need to spend some time with uh. her. Um. So the the one I've I've happened on next, um, and it was because so there was um, there's a video like a, a kind of a, 
there's been stuff going on 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 kind of film YouTube where people are coming up with these different ideas and a bunch of different uh, video essayists are going to do things on this similar theme. And there was like one perfect scene early on in the summer where people did video essays about like a, a scene they really admired. And then the one that just came up was um, one excellent scene, which was everybody trying to pick what they think is one perfect scene from any piece of X-Men related media. So there's like, there's there's dozens at this point, I would say. Proper video essays, like breaking down um, one of my favorite scenes in the franchise, which is the, the fight in the, the mansion in X2. There's um, the scene on the, the beach in the, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis in uh, X-Men First Class. There's- when Magneto bores that Quinn. Yeah right through kevin bacon's face i'm like yes yeah that is exactly the badass magneto that we all know and love yeah we will we, we get back to that in a second but yeah so because of that i've been re-watching all the x-men films now as i said to jack when i told him about me embarking on this project i'm just going to act as if x-men origins wolverine and the wolverine don't exist that's um, because I still like I'm still going I, I still watched X-Men 3 and I think that in and of itself is enough to subject myself to um do you know what I I watched like I'd say within the last year I watched the original trilogy again and I never hated the third one um first time round like I, it was definitely the weakest of the three that goes without saying but I also think in hindsight having seen um uh the last one was dark phoenix yeah yeah um and that is by far like that apocalypse are horrendous that even with hindsight like the third one is okay it's like it's not great but it's perfectly fine for me i don't know i've lost that i I still think it 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 sucks ass it's not great it kind of sucks (laughs) Uh, balls man i i I haven't watched dark phoenix yet so I, i will reserve final rankings until then i haven't watched it at all because i think like i kept missing opportunities to go see it uh completely unlike any other x-men film i've ever seen or heard of uh it was gone out of my cinema in a flash which kind of says it all really but that was because they were kind of like knowing they were going to lose the contract very soon and yeah, they were it just was done with it basically it was the it was the rise of the silver surfer of the x-men franchise where it's just like we need uh to strengthen our hand in any negotiations with marvel so we need to re-up the rights by shitting out a film do you know that Silver Surfer movie? Like, all of the scenes with the Silver Surfer where he was just, like, you know, boring holes in the earth were so cool, but the, everything else... That's because the one the one good decision they made in that whole franchise was get Larry Fishburne to voice the Silver Surfer. Everything else in that movie was abysmal. Yeah, I mean, Dark, Dark Phoenix and Apocalypse are terrible, but Apocalypse at least has a, film, uh, a scene with Quicksilver that's, yeah. you know, fucking incredible. That's the um, best yeah. part of the movie. Yeah, by far, yeah. but that that's it. Yeah, so. And also, obviously, X-Men 3 has Vinnie Jones, so... <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. Do you know, I... I'm sorry, we will get to this, but Maria made me watch at least, like, half of Eurotrip uh, the other night. Oh, I'd it's never, so good! I'd never seen Eurotrip before. <laughs> oh, and it's so good! My baby takes the morning train. <laughs> just... I, I, I very much enjoyed Vinnie Jones in it, that's what I'm going to say. So, that's it. Just, I'll leave that at that. That is of the the frat comedy uh, renaissance from American Pie on. That is my my absolute favorite. Um, a sleeper like, hit. 
from from Scotty doesn't know, you know you're in for an absolute fucking time, and it just the the hits just keep coming in that movie. Like fucking Fred Armisen as the creepy guy on the train. Yeah, scoozy, scoozy. Scoozy. Oh, Fred Armisen is just I mean, he's melting the scenery in that scene <laughs> yeah, in that movie. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I I had a look at the credits, but I was like, okay, like the that woman, where do I know? It's fucking Xena the Princess Warrior. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, Lucy Lawless, yeah. yeah. Anyway, right, sorry, X-Men, please. I, continue. I was just gonna I'm say sorry. fun fun fact about that movie is the guy that wrote that movie or co wrote that movie also co wrote the Clerks animated series, Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dave Mandel. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a good writer. Um yeah, that's a great movie. But uh yeah, so I've rewatched up as far as Apocalypse is my next one. Have fun. So, so uh, like <clears throat> look, it's a tough thing to say because I think like <laughs> The thing about some of those X-Men movies is that I think if the original X-Men came out now, people wouldn't be hugely into it, apart from the um, the, the Stuart McKellen scenes, uh, which are the best part of that, that whole original trilogy, any scene with the two of them talking uh, to each other. I like the scene where um, Halle Berry is ragging on Toad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you said something um, when Venom came out. You were talking, uh, one of us yes. was talking about how, yes. like, in a kind of post MCU, or if Venom was around, like, in the early two mm-hmm. thousands, like, yeah. it would probably had similar to how X Men was viewed at the time. Yeah, and, yeah. So that was. I, I think I said when I saw Venom, it was the best movie of two thousand and three I saw this year. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that, like it is true, and I think that's what Apo- if Apocalypse came out when those original trilogy did. Like, if you swap around Apocalypse and the X Men Three: The Last Stand. It, it, Apocalypse would have been the best thing we'd ever seen at that fucking point. Do you well, know what I, mean? I mean, just on the visuals, yeah. yeah. But, so it's yeah. like it's a mess, and it's not like it's a hot mess in a lot of ways. Like a lot of comic book movies were back in the early two thousands, and it's it's not it's not what we've come to expect from the like. Obviously, the MCU sets the the tone and sets the bar for what we expect a comic book or a superhero movie to be. But not even um, just that. But Days of Future, uh, yeah. Days of uh, the First Class film and Days of Future Past were both great yeah. films in terms of like yeah. rebooting. If you want I, the X Men series, yeah, yeah, I do think Days of Future Past is a bit. Mm, bit on the sloppy side like i think you can definitely when you watch the three back to back to back um and i know i haven't watched the third one of the three but when you watch first class and go straight into days of future past you can see that there is like as soon as singer takes back over things like just start falling apart little by little because he's not the kind of um he doesn't have the mind that that matthew vaughn did have in in first class um and i think like so if I go through them in order, so X-Men 1 was like, um, it's better than you remember it being, but it's not like an absolute Stone Cold classic. It's not like, like when you go back now after people kind of given out about Tobey Maguire at the time, when you watch the original Spider-Man and you're like, oh, that's actually a pretty, pretty fucking good film, you know? I know Spider-Man 2 is the one everyone talks about and it is better and it is the best uh, Spider-Man movie we had for a long, long time. But uh, Spider-Man 1 is still very good. And X-Men, not quite to that level, you know, because they came out within a couple of years of each other. Um, but, you know, for the time and considering the movie that had set the bar at that point for comic book movies when X-Men came out was Batman and Robin. 
I'd say Blade. Well, right? Blade Blade was good, but Blade was kind of like low key in terms of discourse compared to the fucking trash fire that Batman and Robin was. You yeah, know what I mean? Like people are like was like around like in the form yeah. that it's in now when that movie came yeah. out. Oh my god. And Blade to me, and it's obviously, you know, I mentioned him already, but it's because of the director, Blade 2 is much better. Uh the Guillermo del Toro directed Blade movie is Way, way better than the original if Blade. If only he was as good as the guy that directed Street Fighter, right? Yeah, <laughs> damn straight. Um, X-Men 2 is a fucking Stone Cold classic. I fucking love that movie. You could not have picked a better striker than Brian Cox, Knight of the Realm. Perfect. Um, he's so fucking good. Because as well, like, what I hadn't considered at the time because i saw this in school and it was before like i knew about the animated series i had never really read much x-men at that stage i wasn't big into my comics reading but um the character of striker went from like this preacher uh kind of in the the golden and silver age of comics from what i understand to uh in the post 9-11 era being kind of revamped as like military fucking striker the guy who was kind of represented in this film by brian cox and so the idea that this was kind of just a recent refresh of the character when this film came out is is ballsy enough and then do you know and that was that was two he was two years post super troopers i was gonna say i Mm. i agree with everything that's kind of being said about here but i've watched super troopers so many goddamn times Mm. that the last time i watched x-men 2 i could only see like like that version of him and so i kind of ruined it for myself but yes x-men 2 is still the best of the x-men films do you know what my favorite scene in x2 is and i'm pretty sure it's in x2 this is where i'm gonna embarrass myself but where where i should hopefully be able to tell you (laughs) where the police rock up outside the house that wolverine's in and x-men 2 yeah it's bobby's house yeah Yeah. the one the, the one cop with the itchy trigger finger and he just straight up shoots wolvie in the head and like hugh jackman just gets up and gives him that look like yeah. you made a fucking mistake man and yeah, he just looks terrified and that is yeah. that's one of the coolest like if you knew nothing about wolverine's powers that is one of the coolest introductions to understanding just exactly how the regenerative side of wolverine works there are moments there are moments here and there where they get wolverine right in the original trilogy but none more consistently than x2 because you have that um and obviously like i was saying at the start of this this whole segment the uh the the fight scene in the mansion where strikers commandos like just fucking raid the mansion to try and take all the kids um and wolverine just fucking lays waste to them um and it's the single until logan the single best wolverine moment in the entire franchise is when he pins that guy to the fridge claws through the chest and fucking screams in his face it's like berserker wolverine it's the like it's really the like you have moments of him getting angry you have moments of him cutting dudes down in, in in the franchise but there was no more kind of like berserker wolverine moment than that um, that whole scene is incredible you know even down to the bit where like it's a little cheesy but it's kind of the acceptable comic book cheesy when uh, Bobby shoots the wall of ice just as Stryker is about to Stryker and his men are about to take down Wolverine the wall of ice uh, gets blown in the way and the moment where like uh, Stryker reaches out his hand onto the ice and Wolverine kind of touches the the, sh- the silhouette of it on the other side a little bit cheesy but I liked it um, X-Men 3 yeah it's fucking garbage 
I fucking I'm still mad about that movie like what 15 years or so later it's so like I said it to Jack the other night like I haven't even gotten as far as Dark Phoenix yet but based on everything Jack has told me and other people have told me and reviews I've read I, I just think at this point even though it is coming into the MCU and you trust them more I think we should all just agree that the Dark Phoenix saga should never be committed to film no one should ever try because it, we've rolled with it twice and it's just not gone down. Or just not um, let the same guy try it twice. How about that? Yeah. Well, the same guy didn't try it twice because Brett Ratner did it the first time. But um, wasn't the same guy that wrote or was involved with it to some degree? Maybe I'm uh, off. Well, you see, what happened was Singer was involved in the original trilogy until 3 when he went off to make the world's most boring Superman movie. Oh, man. Remember how bad that was? Whew. Poor old Brandon Ralph. I feel sorry for Ralph because, like, he's pretty cool. He's good, yeah. He's a good actor. Um, ruined his career though. It did. Um, and then Singer hopped back onto the franchise after First Class as the kind of overarching uh, person involved in it. And then I think it was around the time Dark Phoenix came out that all the shit started coming out about him, and he was disappeared. Um, similarly with like that's why it was they, he was mid-production on Bohemian Rhapsody when it all came out and Dexter Fletcher had to finish it um, but uh, yeah enough of that grim shit uh, X-Men 3 terrible 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 um, also the one thing like there's so there are some effects that are pretty janky uh, in the original trilogy a, lot, a surprising amount of them hold up well I still think Nightcrawler looks fucking class that's another thing about X2 that's part of the, that makes it the best in the series the shit with Nightcrawler is incredible did the casting um, of Nightcrawler as um, Alan Alan Cummings Alan Cummings like when you think like someone to play Nightcrawler he's not the first guy that comes into your head right no boy perfect he's so good like the energy he brings of just this like he's just almost like a sweetness to him where he's just kind of like your little brother in the movie Mm. where he he knows he's in some deep shit and there's some really heavy stuff going on but he kind of maintains this like almost innocence of 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 a guy who's quite a pure soul all the way through and yeah i just alan cummins man my hat off to him i i i don't anyone will ever get nightcrawler better than that yeah, the um the, the scene with him uh, coming into the White House and oh. kicking everyone's ass at this that that opens the film. Like, oh what? my god, that is like, one of the best opening scenes in any yeah. comic book film ever. Um, but uh, anyway, look, I'll move on for the sake of time. So X three trash. Um, <laughs> I I can't hit that point home enough. How mad I am still at that film. Um, X Men First Class, absolute shot in the arm that that series needed. Um, I think it's brilliant. I love, I would have given anything for the entire movie to be just Magneto, like Eric, just going around the world and picking off Nazis. I, I Like the, the scenes with him, like in the bar in Argentina and in the, is it in, is it in Switzerland where he's at the bank? Yeah, the, but it's the Argentina one where he just yeah. straight up grabs a knife and just stabs that dude through the hand. Oh my yeah, God. I, but no, he grabs it. Puts it through his hand. A guy comes to get him. He fucking shoots the the blade across the room through the guy. Pulls it back into his hand with his powers. Yeah, and then just starts drinking his beer. Oh, perfect. It's so good. And like, obviously, there's no one you can really get to do it more plausibly than a guy who actually is like, um, who speaks English and German and a couple of other languages in in real life. You know, he's so plausible. It's such a you wouldn't think you could ever strike. Uh, gold twice in 
by casting the same characters. Like you think, all right, you've you've cast Patrick Stewart and you've cast Ian McKellen. You cannot get better than that. And then they cast McAvoy and Fassbender. I'm not saying they're better. I'm yeah. just saying that like you have struck gold again there. They are different, but they are brilliant in their own way. So young, the guy that played young Magneto as well, the young actor, I'm not sure. But the scene where he's like rocking up to the, the concentration camp with all the Nazis around and like yeah. they take his they take his mum away and he just loses it with rage and then all yeah. of the metallic like fillings and, and fixtures and gates and, and fences start shaking. It's that yeah. is fucking awesome as well. But do you know what the best part is that I didn't realise until I rewatched those films and then started watching some of those X Men videos? That is shot for shot a remake of the same scene from X Men the first yeah like you can actually and this one of the videos i was watching did do it like they put them side by side it's the same angles and everything it's just like a better child actor is the main difference there They just do it so much better yeah they just make the i don't know if it's the way it's lit or it just yeah. has more impact i think the two things i don't sorry three things i don't really yeah, I'm not really wild about in X-Men First Class. The first is that, uh, as always, Oliver Platt, tremendously underutilized. Uh, I was so sad that he got killed off because he should have just been in these films um, because he is a great man and great popping up in these kind of like small bit part roles that he fleshes out very well. Um, my God, for somebody who is who has been like, who was excellent in one very specific role. I know this January is Jones yep. is a vacuum of personality in this. She's not great, is she? Good lord, is she like they uh, like it's obviously one of those very cynical, creepy Hollywood things because they cast January Jones because she looks like January Jones. Um and like she look like she she looks the part as like an Emma Frost lookalike from like from the the comics. You can see where they're going visually there, but fuck. <laughs> I, I I don't know how much Mad Men you watch, Dave, but she um, is great as yeah, Betty Draper is. in Mad Men. Yeah. Like I mean, brilliant. Like that yeah. sort of like emotionally repressed, um, like slightly angry housewife thing that she has going on, and like just the way she breaks out and becomes like a really interesting character in that show. It's, it's one of those where maybe the blame is really with how great the Mad Men casting director was that they managed to pick somebody out of thin air that is exclusively good at the role they were looking for and pretty much nothing else. Yeah, oh maybe my it's God. the same person that cast Alan Cummings as Nightcrawler. Yeah. And the third thing, God bless him, I love him and he's like pretty much fantastic in everything I've seen him in, but God damn it, and maybe it's because my ear is tuned to it, but... The amount of times Fassbender's Irish accent just fucking steamrolls through his Magneto accent in that movie. You get the odd line in subsequent films that sound a bit, have a bit of the Irish twang about it. But my God, in particular, the Cuban Missile Crisis part of the, the movie where he's like on the beach and says like, oh, you've been at the mercy of men following orders. And like all he was missing was asking where his lucky charms were. Um, <laughs> but there are like... It, in my head, when I had seen that film before, I thought it was really only in that part of the film that the Irish accent comes through. And I had always said to former co-host of the show, Brian, maybe that was the first scene they shot and he didn't have the voice down in his head and he thought he was just going to do it with his natural voice and then developed the more kind of Britishy sounding, you know. Um, but no, no, it's there. there are several moments up and down the film where he's doing it. Um... And then, yeah, Days of Future Past. Um, I love Days of Future Past, the comic. 
I love the animated series version of Days of Future Past and because of both of those things it's kind of a shame that Kitty Pride is kind of relegated to such a like a, a small role in it because I was like Sitting oh look in a room. <laughs> yeah pretty much throughout uh, the whole movie yeah and not being the protagonist of it but I get like you know Hugh Jackman is where the money's at um but yeah that's like it's it's a good film it's a fine film um I I think again I I think Dinklage is underutilized as Bolivar Trask. Um, I love some of the stuff they do, kind of rewriting the lore with the kind of like association between Trask and Stryker. That stuff is cool. They keep casting Dinklage, right, to do stuff and just giving him nothing. Him in Infinity War. I just, I, I don't even understand what they were really trying to achieve because the yeah. the dialogue was so stunted and and i i just yeah. i felt bad for him and i felt the same way about trask it's like they made him as just he's a bad guy and he didn't really a lot of the things that he was saying he didn't have that same sort of rallying cry and it's mm. maybe because i've seen like magneto do that on the opposite side of the of the mutant argument so so well especially ian mckellen some of his speeches and even the bad x-men movies are fantastic uh, yeah. So yeah, I. What is it, man? Just give Dinklage a role where he's cool. Um. So yeah, it's good. It's um. It's such a shame Jennifer Lawrence actively, clearly doesn't want to be part of these movies and was just locked into a contract. Oh, you wait till Dark Phoenix, my friend. Oh well, look by Apocalypse, it's already like. Ugh. It felt almost like third time to reference it, like uh, Kelsey Grammer in Money Plane, where it's like, okay, can we just film it all at my house? Um, which I learned today on how did this get made is pretty much what happened. They came over while there was uh, lawn mowing happening at, happening at his house and a dog was barking and they were basically trying to get his lines of dialogue out before a dog would bark or the lawnmower would start. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Some of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet. <laughs> Money plane. Uh, Fucking great movie. Um, but yeah, and then the, the best part of, uh, the best two things about Days of Future Past are I think it's like, it's the James McAvoy as Xavier movie. He's great. Uh, the scene he has with Patrick Stewart is fantastic um, and Stewart and McKellen when they're like you know when they're in the room together and everything's like falling to fucking pieces like the two of them the way they play off each other like only yeah. two people that are like that Actual close friends. have that much understanding even when they're using someone else's language you can just yeah. feel like the genuine bond between the, the two of them is so the, good the, the the one last thing uh, I want to mention as well is Quicksilver, who's great in that as well. Like it might be the best scene again, uh, where he's he rescues them in the kitchen, uh, from being shot. He beats the shit out of Marvel's Quicksilver, like that they. And put it's in. so good that Sonic the Hedgehog ripped it off. Yeah, I will. Um, I I will till my dying day love the fact that he's in a Pink Floyd T-shirt in this movie, and the the way he says whiplash. <laughs> when he says I'm holding your head so you don't get whiplash and Magneto asked him to say, just says what and he says whiplash <laughs> and it just every time kills me stone dead but that's that's X-Men uh, I'll have watched the last two movies by the next time we meet and I, I may give my definitive ranking at that juncture who knows I look forward to your deep deep burial of Dark Phoenix oh it's coming I can feel it in my waters. To the point where I, I kind of want to rewatch it so it's fresh in my head, but I don't want to ever see it again. <laughs> you know that? Yeah. I want to be able straight. to discuss it from a place of like breaking it down with you, but yeah. I also think that it's a piece of uh, cinematic terminal shit, and I just I can't stand it that bad. 
let's switch into video games finally. Mark, uh, be somebody who isn't me talking for a few minutes. Tell me about CrossCode and about Fall Guys. All right, I'll start with Fall Guys because that won't take too long. Uh, Fall Guys had its first beta weekend last weekend and uh, currently is actually running another beta uh, server test this weekend as well. I think it's on PS4, but it's definitely on Steam. It is. It's uh, Fall Guys is coming to PS Plus. Uh, yes, well, so the, the beta at the moment, I, I think it's on both platforms at the moment. Um, if you want to get a, a, a beta code, find a Twitch streamer because they probably have about 200 codes because they've done this kind of like pyramid scheme uh, promotion for it. And it's actually worked out really well because it was like the most streamed game on uh, on Twitch last weekend, even beating like Minecraft, which is insane. Uh, basically, Four Guys is Takashi's Castle. And that's what it is. And it's great. Where can I get this game? Is Craig Charles narrating it? Uh, unfortunately, no, he's not. That would that would uh, really kind of when, it, when it goes but, esports, he'll be the shoutcaster. Yeah, yeah. But if you think um, like you know one of the the first uh, like um, levels, if you want to call it that, or rounds, is where they have to like there's like a row of doors and they have to try and pick the right one, and if they don't pick the right right one, they just kind of ricochet off of it. Like that levels in there. Um, they have like uh, like a whole bunch of different kind of obstacle courses. So I mean, the way it works is uh, every time you play, uh, there are 70, uh, 60 people in a server, and you go through. And you know, it works in the same format as Takashi's Castle, where you know the first round ten people eliminated, the next round fifteen people eliminated, and it goes and goes until I imagine you have one person left. I don't know because I haven't been able to win a fucking round of this yet. Um, and the reason for that. Uh, and my one kind of gripe at the moment is that it also has uh, like levels usually around about the third or fourth round that are team based. So the two that I've seen that I remember so far, there's one where you have uh, three teams uh, like red, yellow and blue. And there are a bunch of like massive balls and you have to push them into the area that represents your color and you have to keep it there. But as you're doing that, obviously other people from other teams can come and get your ball and push it into their area. So you kind of have to run down the clock, hopefully with enough balls. But because there's no, you know, there's no communication, you have no idea of like trying to direct traffic to say, okay, you guys go for like that area, I'll go for this area. So it's complete chaos. And it kind of like, it does remove a lot of the agency from you to be able to actually have any input on like if you're going to qualify or not and that's been frustrating because a lot of the times that i've not been able to get through to the next round it's been because of those team levels uh so they kind of feel more like you know luck and chance uh than anything else but i mean overall it really like it's not there's not that much more to it than that um like if you think about um some of those mario party levels where you're kind of up in the sky and you're having to jump over platforms you know there's kind of elements of that the, the controls are they're clunky but they're kind of the good kind of clunky they're not quite the sort of quop octodad levels of, of a mess um but you know it's not completely the the finesse is not um, it's kind of like Gang Beasts, I think, is the best way of... Like, Gang Beasts is a platformer, uh, is kind of like how it controls. And, you know, I, I played it for a whole bunch last weekend. Um, I'm definitely going to get it when it comes out. And, I mean, really, if you like the idea of, of Takashi's Castle in a kind of Battle Royale setting, uh, it's it's worth picking up. And it looks, you know, colourful, and it's. Uh, I think it's... 20 quid which i think is a complete steal uh and i 
don't think it's on Game Pass. I hope it's on Game Pass. That'd be great. But uh, no, because it's not on Xbox. I think it's just Steam and PS4. Um, so fingers crossed for that crossplay. But yeah, it's it's really. Yeah, I mean, cool. you've given me Gang Beast and Takeshi's Castle, and uh, <laughs> I've got to be honest, here, I'm excited now. So uh, I'm gonna check this out. I think. Yeah, I'm really curious to see like over the following weeks as well in terms of. Um, streaming and twitch performance like how it does because the fact that it, it rocketed up to the top um you know i'm wondering if it will be like hot for a couple of weeks and then kind of fizzle fizzle away um but but we'll see but it's yeah it looks really cool and i'm hoping i i'm hoping that there will be some level of um like party play where you know me and you and you know a few people can get into a party and then we all get dumped into like the the server of 60 people um that would be nice but i mean i haven't seen anything like that um but you know maybe that'll be saying down the line but that'd be cool because it'd be good to you know do that with I'm other down. people that you're playing with at the same time so the other thing uh, is CrossCode, which, Dave, you brought to my attention a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I think was brought to your attention by Jason Schreier on, on Twitter. And, yeah, because he, I think he said something about, like, hey, if you like 2D Legend of Zelda, you might want to look at this. Um, so CrossCode was a 2015 game on on pc uh but it recently got ported to you know everything basically uh and it was on game pass so that was an easy win for me and i'm, I'm starting to think you're in the the pocket of of big uh, game pass at this point <laughs> robo's on the take Look, i mean there wasn't like a whole bunch from that uh, Microsoft conference the other day, but the fact that everything is available on Game Pass, and I'm still looking at the fucking Master Chief Collection that I want to get to at some point, and they've put Yakuza 2 on there. Uh, I look for 3.99 a month. I <laughs> I can't really complain. Just I'm just saying. But yeah, so CrossCode is very much visually, um, you know, it's indebted to your top-down Legend of Zelda's, some Secrets of Mana, some uh, Chrono Trigger, like, you know, very much that 2D art style. And, and it definitely has elements of those games as you go throughout, but I've played a bunch of Legend of Zelda clones or inspired games over the past, I don't know, five or six years. And pretty much all of them, it's been a, okay, yeah, this is very much a Legend of Zelda game. I kind of just want to go like it's a lesser version of one of those and though it follows a pretty kind of similar format of like okay there are like these four parts of the world and you have to go and get this MacGuffin like these four MacGuffins and then bring it to this area to you know finish the game oh and there you know there are like these dungeons with you know puzzles and mechanics and ideas that very much you would see in a Legend of Zelda game at no point did it feel like that it felt like I was playing you know cross code um and there's kind of two there's a couple of reasons for that one like the actual story is a little bit more engaged i'm not going to say that the story is kind of great by any means but it's got this kind of weird like avatar the last airbender meets ready player one um and it's kind of like this game within a game where you know you're playing like this kind of legend of zelda inspired game but the actual kind of story takes uh place within like an mmo like a kind of second life type of uh experience and you're playing as this avatar within the world who's like real life real life counterpart something's happened and like you can't log out 
Uh, and so like there's a, a, an engineer or a game designer who's with you trying to kind of figure out what's going on and you know it's engaging enough and it's not like by any means what I would call like a kind of a, a, a great in terms of like writing um, especially considering I've been playing Paper Mario and I think the writing in that is really good and really funny but it serves the, the job of what it's trying to do and you know it's, it's just it's still is a bit more engaging than what you get in the legend of zelda and uh the characters have their kind of quirks and personalities and they kind of mix um some different influences and you've got like a french guy and a german guy and it's they, they very much tried to get some kind of inclusive inclusivity going in there which i appreciate but the two main things is that one the level design now it does the same thing that Legend of Zelda does, where it doesn't have a, a jump button unless you're playing Link's Awakening. You know, you'll go up to a ledge, and if you can get to the other side, you'll jump over the ledge, a la uh, Ocarina of Time. And it does that thing, but the level design is fully realized around the fact that you can't jump. You can only either jump to lower platforms, or you can jump between a small kind of space. So in like one area alone that could be pretty sizable, it, it's kind of like its own maze because you can kind of figure out, right, if I can get up here, I can hop onto this ledge and I can get basically hopping along all these different platforms. I can get to the other side of this one square area where there's, you know, like a key or a reward or something that's worth the investment. And every single area in the game has this. And every single time, you know, it's not a dead end. There's always something there that is worth your time and so that immediately makes like exploring the environment completely engaging and completely rewarding and has genuinely been one of my favorite things to do in the game is just to spend like 20 minutes like fully you know going through one square area to find like every kind of aspect of it because they're just it's you know its own puzzle mechanic within the game um i, I think the level design is is absolutely exceptional uh like truly and i think part of that as well and moving on to the other thing which is the combat um zelda games are fixed in a uh eight directional uh path like you know you can only move up down left right northeast northwest blah 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 but um in crosscode it's completely like analog you can just move in any direction and it's very smooth and slick and as you're running around the environment it just feels so clean uh and it was really nice because i was coming off of the final fantasy 8 remaster which wasn't like a port of the original so it used the um eight directional uh, eight directions which was really annoying because there were times when i was like trying to line up to talk to a person and like it just it wasn't kind of lining up properly and so like with the combat as well you know it's it's not just you have a sword and you just you know go up and stab something um you have like different elements that you can play with with like fire and ice uh, and you have the ability to shoot as well as like do these different attacks and you know you can upgrade and you can do different types of attacks um and it's it's really engaging like the what makes it work as well is that um it works in this risk reward system where as you're going throughout the world you see all these different enemies but they won't attack you like the game is kind of in a passive state until up until you go and attack something when you attack something the music changes and you kind of realize all right i'm in combat mode now and there's uh like a um a rank that starts at rank d 
And as you take on more enemies and defeat more enemies, that rank goes up from D all the way up to S. Um, once it goes into S, it kind of goes into like Super Saiyan mode and there's stars and sprites and it's all flashy and the music changes. Um, it's the risk reward is that as you're in the combat mode, when you like get attacked or lose health, that actually like permanently applies until um, you like stop attacking enemies and there's like a meter that runs out because as you run around the world just normal like if you take hits your health will just regenerate straight away but while you're in the combat mode that's when the health actually starts to go down so you have to like kind of like okay do i want to keep attacking enemies because you're, you get more experience as you um like go up in the ranks so you you know the i don't know if it doubles between ranks but you definitely notice you're getting more experience but also the game has this like massive trading system like you can like as you defeat different enemies you get different drops like raw meats and whatever else and when you go to the different towns the markets um there are like tons and tons of different things you can trade for for weapons and upgrades and all this type of stuff and you know depending on if you defeat an enemy at rank d um you'll get a different item if you defeat them at like rank s and obviously there's like a rarity so you want to go for the stuff that's at rank s and because the combat is so engaging and because that like has this risk reward system like i i've sunk about 30 hours in and like i you know the combat was never tiresome the the level exp exploration is never tiresome the dungeons are genuinely the two that i've done are up there with like some of the better top-down 2d zelda games that i've played um and they're pretty lengthy as well like you will sink a good few hours in there between the combat and just like trying to figure out the levels uh so yeah i i wish this game had come out this year so i could have a game of the year contender but alas it's a fucking port but it is really really good and the only reason i haven't finished it is because i got paper mario and i'll have that finished to talk about next week mm. <laughs> <sighs> you take a well-earned rest there pal I, I know I know you've played a bit of cross yeah. code. I don't know if you have any like uh, initial impressions. Very little past the, the kind of introduction. Maybe maybe I've played like an hour, an hour and a half of it so far. But then like I, I think I was still in the rush to beat Last of Us at that stage. So it's something I right. need to pick back up and go to it. Uh, the the backlog is starting to build up again, and I don't like it. Um, so I, I will have to address it soon uh, I, I couldn't really say I'm, I'm far enough in to say uh, anything short of I, I really appreciate the aesthetics it feels good to play so far and I'm looking forward to getting more into it um, it's a good fight for 40 hours yeah. so uh, good yeah. luck <laughs> um, Jack yeah so I have dusted off uh, a game which I haven't actually played in three years mainly because I kind of got to the end of my rope with it because I, I, there just wasn't much more for me to do but I've gone back this week and well in the past couple of weeks to Pokemon Go remember that guys remember Pokemon Go vaguely yeah yeah <laughs> and that took over the world it did it took over the world but so I mean since I like the COVID times have struck I've been going on a lot of walks and uh, listening to a lot of the Zach Braff, Donald Faison podcast, amongst other things. And I just thought, like, you know what? I'm going to dust off Pokemon Go because I'm sure a lot's changed. And quite a lot has changed, to be fair. Like, there's like 600 Pokemon in it now, which I pretty much was done with my decks 
um, of all the original 150 the last time I played it. So I was kind of gutted <laughs> to see that like now I was just barely one quarter of the way there. Um, so that that's a, a mission to start. You know, they've completely changed the way the the sort of battles and and raids and stuff happen at gyms, and you can catch rare Pokemon from raids and things, which are pretty cool. Uh, since COVID, they've added the remote raid pass, so you don't even need to leave your house and your friend who's in like anywhere in the world can send you a raid to join in and you can battle with them which is pretty awesome and yeah it's uh it's still very similar in terms of mechanics and the way the game works that i just noticed there's just a lot more pokemon in the game so like you know i remember you saying dave around the time of the breakout of pokemon go that you like there weren't many pokemon kind of congregating around newbridge is that right mm-hmm. Uh, I, ooh, yeah well i think when it came out i was well i was living in newbridge but i think uh i was staying at my grandparents at the time and there was fucking nothing around there yeah whereas now like no matter kind of where i've been whether it's like you know out on a walk like even into the countryside and stuff there there just seems to be wall-to-wall pokemon everywhere which i think is a, a massive improvement because it kind of takes away that exclusionary thing they've added a feature where you can add poker stops as well so if you live in a tiny town in the middle of like effing nowhere if you get to level 40 in the game which is the highest level you can get to as it stands at the moment you can nominate one of the local landmarks to be a poker stop so that means that you know you don't have to necessarily go like two towns over or whatever to refill on pokeballs or potions or whatever and yeah I've been having a good time with it again. Um, I kind of felt like it was a bit like, you know, Jay from the in-between has completed it, mate, because there really wasn't much else to do. But there's a lot of stuff to do now. And they had, like, a community day this weekend where had loads of different um, Pokemon spawning, like, every half an hour that was changing the Pokemon that were live on the map, which was cool. Uh, and they ended up donating, like, $10 million worth of their, their profits to Black Lives Matter in America, which... It's really cool and, and something that, you know, is quite ballsy for, like, a mainstream video game company to do, really. I mean, obviously, it's a socially conscious thing to do, but it's a, it's a pretty big statement from Niantic. So when I heard that, I was like, you know what? I, I, I now don't feel... Uh, <laughs> there was a little bit of shame of going back to Pokemon Go because I was just like, oh, I got so addicted to this last time. And, you know, going into work in London every day, it was kind of easy to get addicted to it because everything was happening all over the place. But me getting back into it now, I'm like, oh, I, I was kind of done with it or whatever. But yeah, that that was the thing where I was just like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm solid. I'm happy to support this game. I've barely spent any money in it since I've been back into it because I had a bunch of uh, Pokeballs and stuff from, from the last time I played it. So I'm still pretty good in that sense. But yeah, uh, I'm having a good time with it. I don't think it will last long, but it... It's just definitely something to do on a walks when you can't really go anywhere more interesting. So Pokemon Go is back for me and yeah, thumbs up. And I'll tell you if I descend into madness and I'm, you know, walking around at like one o'clock in the morning trying to find a fucking Bulbasaur or something. So yeah. (laughs) Uh, I have been playing Ghost of Tsushima. Is it as fucking badass as it looks? That's all I need to know. Yeah, well, here's the thing, and it comes down to that word a lot, Jack, and that's looks. And um, this has been since kind of, you know, everyone has finished and moved on from Last of Us Part 2. I think Ghost of Tsushima was the new discourse game for a few days when it came out. And um, yeah, in terms of looks, in terms of aesthetics, it's one of the most visually sumptuous games I have ever played. It has nailed uh, the tone of what this game should be this kind of 
uh, way back when, during the time of the Mongol invasion uh, era um, of Japan. And it's... Um, it's Genghis Khan it, in the game. It's uh, one of Genghis Khan's... Uh, I think it's like nephew or grandson or something like that. It's one of the Khans. Uh, you know the cans. <laughs> Did, uh, they, oh, mate, they're missing missing a massive opportunity if if they didn't get fucking Jim Kirk in there at some point, like in a <laughs> samurai costume to just go con. So uh, yeah, the the Mongol invasion is happening, uh, and essentially you are kind of um, for what the whole area of Tsushima thinks is you have been killed at the start of this ma- uh, the game in this massive battle and, and you re-emerge and are nursed back to the health by, by this woman Yuna and it's part of why you, you take on the, the mantle of the ghost of Tsushima because essentially it, the, the legend starts creeping across Tsushima that you have risen from the dead and are exacting vengeance on Mongols where like you didn't actually die um, but that is kind of the, the, the terrifying legend of you uh, that is going around uh, as you are hacking down Mongols left right and centre in this game like I said the aesthetics of this game are unbelievable uh, it looks so good um, just going across the, the countryside on your horse, seeing the, uh, the, the, the flowers or the trees blowing in the wind. And, uh, I think it's nailed a lot of the kind of, um, traditional music as well. And the, the, the clothes and the kind of, uh, landscape, it, it all looks fantastic. Um, what else did I, I, I want to say on that? There was, there was something else about... Um, See, but you kind of feel like you're holding back a point here because you keep Yeah, I, I am. The, the, the other shoe is going to drop in a second, but I'm trying to get around to the, the stuff that this game does like unbelievably well. Um, something that I feel... Good, because I, I have yes, questions. Something so, I, I, I yeah. feel really helps this game. Um, so the default uh, in our region when you go on is to do kind of like Eng- English... Um, voice actors uh but i would recommend thoroughly doing japanese voice actors with english subtitles it just feels more authentic um it it kind of i haven't even tried for one second with english voice actors because i think it's kind of you want to immerse yourself in this world and i think if everyone's speaking english it kind of snaps that a little bit um there is a mode that people were raving about at first it's called kurosawa mode which is this muted kind of black and white don't do it on your first playthrough yes but not nearly as good as the game looks with color jack i know the colors in this game are un fucking believable yeah i mean i i know like whenever a, a big triple a game comes out i mean there's always like a bunch of screen grabs that you see um whether it be you know assassin's creed or last of us 2 but just in terms of like the style and the setting of this game um like some of the the images that people have been posting are look on fucking believable get that make sure the color is on make sure to take that time to tweak your brightness settings and stuff like that you want this color popping as much as possible and i can tell you on ps4 pro on a 4k tv with that hdr oh boy uh it looks <laughs> unfucking believable they've just uh, subtly revealing how much of a baller he is wow like it's almost the kind of thing that i kind of want to hold out until i've got the ps5 yeah. so you know because like i mean i still have a baseline ps4 yeah 
um and i mean the last what the hell was the the final fantasy remake mm. uh my my ps4 was chugging yeah. points well, like it was gonna my ps4 off. pro like it, it, it's making some noise on this game that's how <laughs> that, that's how sumptuous this game is like Jesus just moments Christ. where you're going through and there's like cherry blossoms blowing in the wind or there's like a place called i think it's like the golden orchard or something like that where it's just the rich autumnal textures and the the dynamic weather in it is great like you, you know the way the rain looks or the way forked lightning looks in the background and stuff like that it's some of the best weather i've seen in a video game since the only other one i can think of that was like if you say heavy rain no I'm no you. the only one i can think of that was like specifically weather blew me away was that uh really kind of bang average mad max game that was like it was fun but it was nothing special that i talked about a couple of years ago on the show maybe three years ago um where like visually it was an incredible game but it was just hollow um it was a lot of the same stuff and and here's where the other shoe drops is that essentially ghost of tsushima is a very good one of those and by one of those i mean it Um. is an open world it's it's a kind of far cry-esque experience um where there there is a story um but my my thing about it is not quite just cause levels of being inconsequential but it's not why i've come to the dance like it's kind of you know if, if you're into that if you're into that kind of kurosawa movie revenge tropes and things like that it's it's got some cool moments and there are moments i have gotten invested in the story but by and large i'm kind of just wanting to get back to the action there are a lot now I wouldn't say it's the most overly burdened with side questy maps I've ever seen in my life but there are a fair few of them I wouldn't say it's one of those ones where you have to grind for very long to keep on the critical path like every now and then you might decide oh there's a cool piece of kit I might want to upgrade it a bit more uh, even though it's not really that necessary like once you get the combat down if you're kind of 80% critical path 20% doing the odd quest you come across you should be getting enough upgrade points to kind of unlock stuff um the combat it it feels really good um there are kind of um these stances with your katana that you unlock uh throughout the game and each one of them there's four different stances and each one of them deals best with a different kind of enemy there are you start off with just one style and you can beat any enemy with that one style but you are more effective at breaking their guard or or hacking them down quicker in the stance that complements their style perfectly so the first one that you unlock is really only super effective against enemies that just carry swords then your next one that you unlock has a heavy attack that breaks resistance with shields so you can hack away like do a couple of heavy attacks on someone with a shield and they get staggered and you can dispatch them quickly that way the third one which is the one i had just unlocked a couple hours ago uh is for ranged weapons like lances and uh and axes uh which are fuckers to deal with when there's loads of people running at you I was going to ask, like, is it a lot of big battle sequences? Like, does combat um, feel so, like it's it's kind of big and open, or do you feel kind of more? It's like, okay, I, I have to focus on this one person, then I move uh, on to the next person. I would person. say, in terms of numbers and things like that, it's not um it's not unlike when you get into the weeds on, like, you know, Arkham, when a bunch of guys come at you, and if you kind of 
are comfortable with the systems in the game, you can do it in such a way where you're knocking guys in different directions and spreading out the action and going, right, I'm going to pop to here, they're going to pop across to here. Uh, because between the stances and the different roles and stuff you unlock, there is a good way the better you get at the game of not letting guys pile up on top of you it is fairly overwhelming at first you can heal yourself with a thing called resolve which you build up by killing enemies um and at one resolve you have three i think you have three resolve at the start of the game and different things you do you can unlock additional uh resolves um but yeah the resolve recharges by you killing and finishing off enemies um and it also then later in the game you start unlocking special moves that will use up resolve as well so there's a kind of like a, a management in a battle of like right do i save all my resolves for healing if things get a bit too hairy or can i use my special there's a thing that i've unlocked so far called the heavenly strike which is one kind of cuts through any defense sort of swipe that will uh stagger and take a good chunk of health off most uh types of enemies um so there's a, a little bit of strategy involved in there i would say it you know the combat feels good and there's a little bit more thinking strategically about it than there is in your garden variety open world kind of experience um and i think there, there's plenty in those upgrade trees to keep people interested in in doing stuff um what was it? Where was I going to go to next? Uh, in terms of the side quests, so there are uh, a bunch of things on the uh, on the map, and I haven't done a lot of them. Some of them are really easy, and they're only going to take a couple of minutes. So in terms of, um, you know, it taking up your time, it's it's not too much to deal with. So there's like um, fox dens, which occasionally you'll be walking around in the world, and you'll just see a fox, and it will it will alert you that you're near a fox den, and if you follow that fox for just like a minute down the road, he will lead you through like, you know, a couple of ledges that you wouldn't have otherwise seen, couldn't have otherwise access. You climb, you follow the fox, and then you find this kind of like a totem statue of a fox that you you pray at. And it, uh, is it for the resolve slots? I can't remember. It, it, it starts contributing towards one type of upgrade. So that's just something you can happen upon in the world there are these this is my favorite kind of like it's the most uh we're trying to think of things that are authentically japanese to do as a side quest and there are various really nice looking sightseeing points in the game where you can just sit down cross-legged and compose a haiku game of the year which is the most like okay right yeah so like <laughs> it, it what it does is it it will say reflect about death for example it will say and it will open up this scene in front of you and you'll see two points of interest and you kind of use the right stick to move your, your to, to direct your attention to one of them. And each one of them will have a different line you can put in the haiku. So you compose based on a bunch of different options, a haiku. Uh, and that helps unlock, uh, I think that helps contribute towards a, a, a slot of something uh, as well. I haven't written any of this down. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to go off the top of my head with a lot of this. You'll have to bear with me. There's also um, one of the cool ones. Uh, it is difficult is um, there's bamboo challenges, I think they're called, where you come across these. There are three bamboo poles sitting on a stand and each one of them has a button in front, like a, a face button in front of them. It might be like, say, uh, triangle, circle, triangle. And you have to hit those buttons in that sequence as quickly as possible so that your katana cuts clean through them. 
then screen blacks out. Look, let let me and Jack tell you about a specific bamboo challenge in Pokemon, Pokemon Stadium <laughs> 2, right? Because... Mate, I was the um, master of that. There's... <laughs> After the three of them, then there's five of them. So you have to, in the same amount of time, hit five buttons. And then there's seven. And it's ridiculous because, like, it will throw in, like, it won't just be square, circle, square, circle, square, circle. It'll start throwing in random shit like an R1, an L1. So you really have to do, you really have to be thinking about it. It can't just be you trying to just go muscle uh, memory or go as fast as you can. Um, So that's decent. Um, I enjoy taking down, like, outposts or places the mongols have invaded because usually what they'll do and it's kind of reminiscent of shadow of mordor in a way is that you'll get to like an outpost and there'll be like the goal is to kill all the mongols in there but then there's often maybe somewhere between one and three bonus objectives that help contribute to your legend um and those will include freeing prisoners uh, observing the leader of the outpost before he can see you. So watching him, usually the leader will be somewhere towards the back and he'll be training. So you get to a vantage point near him or in the weeds beside him and you observe him with R2. Um, so that might be a bonus objective. It There might be a bonus objective that are like uh, stagger three shield-bearing enemies with a heavy attack. Um, it might be just uh, kill every mongol without raising the alarm it might be complete the entire outpost without having to heal different things like that that make each outpost very slightly different you know it's again it's kind of like i was saying earlier where it's not quite far cry levels of repetitive sorry jack i know you (laughs) like far cry games but like it's kind of each one does just slightly enough for me to not be like oh fuck here we go again and like i said it i don't feel like it's beholden on me to complete all of them if i don't want to um there's an interesting thing in the combat uh, and it's something that is part of the one of the motifs of the game going through and it's the idea of like are you the honorable um samurai who meets his opponents head on in the field of battle or are you somebody who is so kind of traumatized scarred by the things that happened to you at the start of the game when you thought you could face your troubles head on that now you're just willing to take any advantage possible and assassinate people quietly which you can do is that like the um, black hat system in uh, red dead it d- well you see it doesn't actually like it, the game doesn't punish you for going either way but it changes the combat challenge of the situation by which i mean if you want to go just head first walk through the front gates of an outpost or walk straight up to a bunch of guys in the woods who are hassling some peasants or something like that you will see a prompt at the bottom of the screen that says to tap up on the d-pad to start a standoff and this is my favorite thing in the game where you stand off one-on-one with kind of like the leader of this little group of bandits or mongols or whatever it is you hold down the triangle button to draw your sword over your shoulder you have to wait until they attack you and they do like little feints and try to make you release triangle first but then when they finally do try to attack you you release triangle you cut them cut clean through them take them down in one shot uh the de- the upside of that is you're one enemy down in one single strike the downside is everybody else is alerted that you're there because you've gone straight up to them and gone come on and fight me um you can unlock uh, as it goes through the game uh, a second and third strike where after you cleave down the first guy a second guy comes up and you just tap triangle as soon as he goes to attack you and it takes him down and then you much later on in the game you unlock a, a, an ability to do that to a third enemy um 
The combat challenge changes if you try not to raise the alarm where you can kind of get vantage points and quietly assassinate somebody. Um, there are little projectiles like sticky bombs, um, which are obviously going to create a fair bit of alarm. Um, smoke bombs that if it kind of gets a bit hairy and everybody is up on top of you, you can throw down a smoke bomb and basically fuck off <laughs> and try and regain your cover. Um, there are these kunai, which are the little tiny projectile knives that you can throw which usually break someone's guard so if there's a really particularly tough enemy or a number of them you can throw these kunai it'll stagger them and give you an opportunity to try and take them down and, and even up the numbers a little bit but yeah the dual system is something I really like I think it is, like I said, a very good one of those. I think it is best played in 90 minute to two hour increments. I think it might wear on you playing multiple, multiple hours of the thing. But I like it a lot more than I thought I would. I think this is probably going to end up in that territory of too good to be uh, the okayest game of the year but probably not good enough to be high up on my game of the year list either kind of thing. Um, I will at this point take questions from the floor. Might have a hell of a shot at the best looking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it definitely does. And and maybe best soundtrack as well. But uh, I'm open to questions from the floor. Should any arise? I mean, all I know is that like, I've already played one lengthy game with an inconsequential story this year in Final Fantasy VIII. I don't know if I you watch really need to play. And <laughs> I was waiting for the bite. I will say this, and this is not to throw shade at Jack or anything like this. I think this is hey, a more not you kind too. of. Will you fucking stop it? No, 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 no. Look, I haven't played Final Fantasy VIII, but just given the genre of game and everything it is, I think this will be a good kind of fun, have a podcast on as well sort of game for you, Mark. Like, I think you will get a kick out of the combat. Um. It won't be one that you'll feel the need to 100% clear out and it might be one that oh God, no. it might be one that like wait until there's a sale or wait until PS5 if that's what you really want to do. Um, I, I think Jack will be more predisposed to like it than you will. Oh, yeah. I, like I it's kind of one where I think Jack should probably get this game very soon. Um, I, I think he'll enjoy it quite a bit, right. you know, especially consider I think it's a good bit better than Far Cry 5, for example, at being one of those. Yeah. Still, um, still probably the worst game I've planned uh, is Far yeah. Cry 5. <laughs> I, I wish I could say the same. And th- this is the other thing as well that I was thinking, if Tsushima, if I really don't fall off it, very doable platinum. <laughs> you essentially just have to clear out the map. I just, I kind of feel like I do want to see it. Like, I want to play it. I want to have it on my monitor. Yeah. But there is definitely that part of me that's kind of like, if I do... I really might wait until yeah. I have a PS5 because, uh, well, I mean, I don't want my PS4 yeah. to explode for I, I will, um, I will say as well, the blood spatter effects on your character are great. Or I could just wait till it comes out on Xbox mm. and play on Game Pass. Well, it's not going to because it's a first party. Look, all right? It's, you it's never Sucker know. Punch. It's not fucking happening, mate. You never know. I, you never know. I actually do, in fact, know. Uh. <laughs> Dave, uh... Do you feel like Beatrice Kiddo in, in Kill Bill when you're playing this game? Hey. Uh, I haven't unlocked the five-point palm exploding heart technique just yet. Oh. But will lose my goddamn mind uh, if I do. Uh, yeah, this is one where I think I'd, I'd tentatively recommend for Mark and would fairly well recommend for, for Jack as kind of one of, a very good one of those that I think he'll have a bunch of fun clearing out the map on. 
Um, I mean, it's uh, when a samurai game is not fun. Yeah, well, this is true. And that's the thing. Like, it's one of those that isn't, like, as well-worn a type of game as as some others. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of done with the Far Cry model. Um, and, you know, even just putting the samurai lick of paint on this is uh, is different enough that I'm kind of like, okay, maybe I do have one open world game in me this year. Um, but yeah, that's Ghost of Tsushima anyway. I'm going to keep playing it for sure. Um, and I, I kind of haven't really gotten into all the systems and all the things you can do. Uh, I will say it's very user-friendly as well. Like, I'm kind of in the headspace where I want the kind of dumb hack-them-down-with-swords game. I don't want to have to master a bunch of different combat combos or have, like, uh, get sick from the amount of menus and unlocks. I have to try and figure out how all these skill trees work or anything like that. It's a fairly pared down and easy to understand sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> what can I say? Um, look, let's get into the news. And I suppose we'll lead off first with um, Ghost of Tsushima um, because it has broken a record that I think itself had been broken only like a couple of months ago. Um, it has become Sony's fastest selling original IP of the generation. Uh, it came out two weeks ago, just about as we're recording this, but in the first three days, it sold 2.4 million copies. Oh my God. Which is incredible. Um, it has sold more at launch than Horizon Zero Dawn, Days Gone, Dreams. Um, it isn't quite at the level of Last of Us Part 2 or Dad of Boy uh, or Uncharted uh, or even Knack because Knack was a launch game obviously so it's all disproportionate amounts for the quality of that game. Um, the thing that I... Um, the, the thing that was just like absolutely blew me away uh, not only did this sell 2.4 million uh, in three days but as part of this article i found out that the last of us part two sold four million copies in the same period uh in its opening three days wow. so it's safe to say because you know we all rag on a couple of the ps4 exclusive like days gone um but it's safe to say the batting average of financially anyway of these uh, ps4 first party exclusives has been pretty fucking good financially i would say I will say one of the, the more interesting things to always do when you look back at a generation is look at each console when you look at the exclusives. Um, I'm not saying that is what you use to to like gauge what was the best console um, of the generation yeah. because, I mean, it's not fair because one of these had Breath of the Wild and one of two of these yeah. didn't. But, like, you know, um, it, you think about what... It, what was the Xbox yeah. One exclusives of this generation? Sunset you know? Overdrive. That is the only one I can... The, that one with the pirates yeah, sea of thieves yeah it's, i know what it's called i just I, I that's how little i care about it i just thought it'd be funny yeah. to say that one with the pirates <laughs> um yeah sunset overdrive is the only one i can think of where it's like oh that was like a real quality experience i couldn't really get in another game on playstation um, but apart from that like it's a real dearth of first party for like they really um, and I know it was kind of a thing where they did so badly in the first half of the generation that Microsoft went, right, we're going to double down and rather than rush out some shit this generation, hello, Crackdown, uh, we will by and large go 
really into the R&D for getting some really good quality stuff out next generation. So maybe that gamble pays off. Five years time we might be saying, my God, these these Xbox Series X games are just like on another planet. Um, and obviously Nintendo, obvi- they're always going to have an incredible first party lineup. But uh, PlayStation's this generation has been great from Horizon Zero Dawn to this to Uncharted 4. Like they said, Dreams there, which is a whole barely get your ra- head rounded kind of thing. Um, Last of Us. It's yeah, it's it's been pretty good. I guess. I guess also like a more specific to my point is looking at like the new IPs for each generation as well because I mean Nintendo it's kind of hard to count them in that regards but like again you know if you use again the the Mm. Sony Microsoft I mean maybe you could say Ori for for Microsoft in terms of like new IPs Uh, and and, you know and the second one is great but honestly a lot of why it's great is just because they they took it from Hollow Knight um but after that, I mean, yeah, Sunset Overdrive, I guess, yeah. is there as and well. And you can't even say Sunset Overdrive, really, because, like, yeah, all oh, that looks like a really good new franchise, and then Insomniac went straight back to Sony. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so that's not happening. Rip. Sunset Overdrive 2, if that ever happens, is going to be on every console. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting generation in that respect, I think. Um, and Ghost of Tsushima doing very well to be regarded in such a esteemed company, at least in terms of sales anyway. Um, we talked about it at the start of the program, but uh, PS Plus is uh, having a good month this month because you're getting Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 campaign remastered um, as your, your kind of headline uh, game for Game Pass now somebody pointed out I think this game didn't release too long ago remastered I can't confess to uh, keeping up that much on Call of Duty happenings in this day and age I, I think it was uh, either Barry or friend of the show Anchor mm-hmm. I think one of those two uh made that point but yeah it wasn't that long ago Mm -hmm. that this would have been released yeah so that comes out and then fall guys also comes out uh and that one instead of being available on the first of august will be available from the fourth of august which i mean let's be honest it's it's the rocket league thing of just get that install base up Mm -hmm. because i mean it it needs it uh even more so because you need 60 people per like round um so that is an, an inspired mm-hmm. move a very very smart move um so and yeah. there's also yeah, uh, for this month as well there will be a free 10-year anniversary of ps plus uh theme it's hard to believe that service has been around for that long i feel very very old thinking about it uh here is one for jack get ready to be sad gang because don't nod have a new game coming out in august and holy shit this do- this looks like it will continue that trend of being really kind of bleak bummer of a game uh, it's a three-part game called tell me why uh the next episodic adventure from don't nod oh my god is t- it about backstreet boys if only i was gonna say am i am i the only one it, like getting backstreet it, boys more specifically am i the only one getting a cold opening from brooklyn Nine-Nine? I, is that the best cold opening of a comedy show ever like it's yes. so good yes anyway, sorry no. i i don't know um i i always have um a, a a soft spot for the um i've seen your moves are like being caressed by a natural yogurt <laughs> from uh the mighty boosh yeah. or the blood blood and bits of sick from garrett Marenghi's dark place <laughs> they're in the post oh yeah first I, class I think, I, I, the poster <laughs> yeah. hurts the most 
I think actually all six episodes of Gart Marenghi's Dark Place have incredible cold opens, but that's just my bias the, showing. The, the one where, um, um, the episode of Friends where it's just Billy Crystal and Robin Williams having a really yeah. melodramatic conversation that and is shouting at each other. Yeah. For literally no reason other than it's like, well, we could get Robin Williams and Billy Crystal to be in this episode of Friends. Um, This, unfortunately, totally the exact opposite of our beloved comedies of youth, because this tells the story of twins Tyler and Alison Ronan, who each explore the memories of their childhood in small town Alaska from different perspectives. As everyone don't know, there's an element of supernatural involved this time to represent the bond between the two. Uh, Tell Me Why has been described as featuring the first playable video game hero from a major studio and publisher who is also transgender. One of the... uh, I'm sure that's going to have no discourse around it whatsoever. No, but you see, well, the thing about it is because it's a don't nod game and that audience is already pretty well ingrained and know what to expect from the, the studio. Like, I'm not talking about those oh, people. No, I'm talking it, about every go, other go fucking idiot. Life is Strange 2 and see the shit that they yeah. got away with in an absolute yeah, echo chamber. That's, that's, that's the thing. Like They're way off mark on their own thing that like they have done stuff in going for as far back as the the first life is strange where you would have thought that that kind of uh piss baby reaction would happen and they just seem to exist in their own different ecosystem where like it's not to say that there will be no angry piss baby tweets but it doesn't seem to get the same virulent and maybe it is a thing where it's like um it's don't nod and we know what comes from don't nod um but this looks it looks really interesting that one like so one of the the twins one of the playable characters in this is a uh, female to male transgender and it's something that kind of like um because it goes back and forwards in time it looks like you're doing some stuff uh uh, you're going through some scenes in childhood and some scenes with them it appears they're returning to the old family home at the start of this game in the current day part of the timeline um, so you're you know I, I don't know one of the studios I would trust to handle this well and handle it sensibly the idea that there are two timelines and one will be the pre-transition timeline and one will be post-transition there are a lot of studios who are if I heard that I'd be like oh Jesus this is going to be ham-fisted and awful and actually we'll be talking about a game that did not do great uh, talking about uh, trans people uh, later on in the news but uh I'm I'm interested. I think this was going to hook one Jack Lazell, who is a, a don't nod enthusiast. Guilty. Yeah, uh, I think August twenty seventh is when the first of the three parts of that game come out, and I, I think he will be top of the queue for that one. I um, I still can't they, deal with games coming out in parts, guys. I don't well, know if there's something wrong with me, but that that's they, the only thing that sucks for me. Don't not have said that all three parts are done and they will be coming out in quick succession. So hopefully it'll be a thing like maybe Hitman, where it comes out every four weeks or so, um, yeah. which would be a lot less time to wait. Um, and I but didn't we'll even see. play Hitman. I let it go. Yeah. I let it run. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, it took a game of the year uh, badgering to get you to, <laughs> to get in on that. I mean, yeah, and I was so wrong. I think it's just because I'd fallen off it so badly, like the memories were tarnished of Hitman, what it had come by yeah. the end of it, and then, yeah. Uh, but mm. my memories of Don't Nod are very, very high at the moment. Life is Strange 2 mm. is probably one of the best, like, socially aware storylines I've ever played in any video game that not a single other yeah. person on the planet, including noted fan of life is strange barry murphy has actually bothered yeah. to play and noted relative enthusiast me yeah 
like I, I know broad strokes of what happens in that game, but yeah, um, I, I have yet to. I have it, yeah. but I have yet to. If, if anyone wants to know what happens in that game and they want to hear me talk extremely passionately about it, then go to I think probably give, give them a call. Part two of, uh, of of our game of the year thing from last year, where it was like mm. the stories in games last year, and in general the quality of games from last year was not particularly high. But that storyline was the one thing that really, really affected me. But it weirdly was like episode two to five came out last year, but episode one was in 2018. So I couldn't really in good conscience give it, but I had to talk about it. Yeah. Or just, you know, even better than that, go fucking play it. It's a real good game. Mm. Um, so we will go from one game that we are hoping and have faith in handling trans issues well to one that certainly didn't. Uh, Deadly Premonitions 2 first patch tweaks problematic transgender content, comma, frame rate, which is the most like <laughs> one of these things is much more important than the other sort of headlines. Um, so Deadly Premonition, this is from Eurogamer, uh, Deadly Premonition 2 has just received its first, first and very much needed post-launch patch on Switch taking an initial pass at improving the game's abysmal frame rate while also making a range of tweaks designed to remedy its heavily criticised handling of a transgender character. The long-awaited sequel to developer Hidetaka Sueri Suhiro's cult classic mystery adventure game came under fire, released for elements of its script, seemingly more naive than malicious given the spirited anti-bigotry stance displayed elsewhere in the game in which transgender character Lena Dauman is misgendered and deadnamed. Uh, following the outcry, Sueri offered his apologies on Twitter, right? I realised by pointing out from friends I might have heard transgender people in my scenario it wasn't intentional I'm really sorry for that he also promised that offending scenes would be sanity checked by a team that included diversity and amended as necessary so yeah this is he wrote the apology the game is patched uh, he has kind of dug in his heels a little bit on some of the dead naming um, his view uh, as the the man who wrote and created the game is that there are kind of, uh, for want of a better term, an antagonists in the game where to him he is justified by the fact that they are antagonists, that they would use this kind of language. Um, there was an awful lot more of it uh, seemingly in the 1.0 from everything I haven't played Deadly Premonition 2 because I took one look at how that game performed on Switch and was like, no! See, do you know what, Dave, though? This is the thing that I've always thought is really tricky, right? And, again, as, like, as, as a white male, uh, it's very difficult for me to really put forward an opinion that matters. But if you have something where, say, somebody is being abused, whether it's uh, transphobia, homophobia, racism, any of the awful, shitty things that people say to each other, if the character in the thing is an arsehole like, and you're depicting what someone like that would be, is it okay to do that through the mouth of a, of, a, of a dick and then have them look terrible in the game? Or do you just completely avoid portraying people um, like that at all? And so, that's uh, a tough one for me, I think. Uh, I think it's fairly cut and dry, and that is only because I have the kind of lived experience of I, uh, as a job, work with trans young people. So I have kind of their perspective on it and, and what... I think would inform any sort of um, the way they interpret and experience trans representation in popular culture. The very simple way to sort anything out like this. It's kind of like 
uh, what I say to um, youth workers I train and, and people I train on, on LGBT stuff, uh, I tell them that if you're, for the most part, with, with young trans people or, or adult trans people, um, the if you are unsure about pronouns, anything like that, the best thing to do is ask them. And if you are working in a creative medium like video games and you have a team that are putting together a story, if your story is going to heavily feature trans characters, very simply hire trans people yeah exactly like uh, that is a level of consultancy (laughs) at minimum yes that is how you know if you are a cisgendered person who is writing a story like this and you are writing a lot about an experience that is nowhere near your own and you are asking yourself questions or questions are being asked of you about how or whether you should handle it it's probably a clear sign you shouldn't be handling it by yourself at the very least yeah i Um, i always thought like it just it, it it blows my mind that so much of the portrayals of different like whether it's minorities or even simply like Mm. women and having a writer's room that's filled with 20 blokes trying to write something from a woman's perspective that wasn't media really until like the last few years when there's been a genuine wave to try (laughs) i i I mean i i still wouldn't say it's anywhere close to sorted it's just yeah yeah it's not not it's getting slowly and and trans and lgbt as, as a whole is several years if not decades behind even that female or racial representation the positive of this for the the small amount of positives here is like this is one of these kind of cases where you could easily see the 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 artist you know kind of doubling down on no this is what you know this is how this story is meant to be um so it's at least good that in this instance here swery has kind of like been able to acknowledge he has at least acknowledged and partially fixed what was objectionable now i will say an awful lot of uh trans people in games media have talked about how still not nearly enough there's still an awful lot of dodgy stuff in that game and again i can't go into specific examples having not played the game myself but again i would say it going by uh their indication it is um you know he's done something but you know again and it's a thing where much like with racial representation or gender representation uh, of women in writers rooms and things like that um in industries such as video games that have traditionally kind of like tv and film being a boys club um trans people who are very very skilled at their jobs uh, find it very difficult sometimes to get employment particularly at major studios um and it would be really really nice if you're going to decide to speak on their experience to uh at the very least uh help out uh a co- in changing the culture by you know employing consultants that could tell you about their lived experience or storyboard artists or fucking somebody who knows this better than you do. Um, I just kind of, I just appreciate still in 2020, the gall of people uh, writing stories uh, about, no, this is your experience. You know, it's, it's really fucking something else to me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Completely agree with everything you said, mate. Uh, To the point where I actually do have nothing to add now. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, talking of like it, personal experiences, do you think Swery lives at seven frames per second? <laughs> oh my god, it's the choppiest shit I've fucking seen since that Sonic game. I, by the way, um, living <laughs> the man who lives at seven frames per second sounds like it'd be a really yeah. interesting, <laughs> bizarre art house movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was actually, yeah, when I, I watched footage of, I think it was Jim Sterling playing Deadly Premonition 2, uh, I thought to myself of that that uh, Jeff Gersman playing Rise of Lyric and just screaming, what the fuck is with the frame rate in this motherfucking yeah. game? Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, I, I saw like two minutes of it and I just thought this looks like a bad Steam early it, access. It looks yeah. like Some, the sometimes... video game equivalent of a Tommy Wiseau movie to me. Yeah. Some, it some, looked like something that Jim Sterling would get sued for yeah. in a year's time some, by the developer. Some of the thing, sometimes with games that have frame rate hitches, you kind of like, okay, let's count how long this chug lasts for. It would actually take less time to count the moments in any gameplay video of that game where the frame rate wasn't in bits. Um, I, it's, it's but it's really also like bad. usually when when the frame rate drops is because there's a whole bunch of things happening on the scene at one time usually with like particle effects or whatever but it's just no this is just the open world area mm-hmm. and the performance is atrocious yeah um we'll move on from that anyway uh for now because i'm sure that will be a thing that might still uh, develop as time goes on um I have, I don't know how many years, lads, and I know relatively recently, I think I talked about it uh, in our group chat, uh, I have pined for the fact that EA seemed to, when uh, Ultimate Team took off and was an absolute cash cow for them, um, career mode, which for all of us 90s kids growing up playing football games, career mode is the be-all and end-all of any football game when your mate isn't over for some couch co-op uh, or or head-to-head action um it, it was the forgotten mode of fifa for so long very minor incremental quality of life changes happening so no one was more pleasantly surprised and pleased than me when the fifa 21 announcement trailer comes out and they are literally leading the trailer with all the shit they're planning to do to career mode and um the the notes that came with all the the kind of media material that that dropped i think it's nearly two weeks ago now uh all seems to indicate that there's even more stuff we haven't seen yet um when fifa 20 came out in september 2019 this is from eurogamer players discovered a raft of bugs and embarrassing issues with career mode so yeah there's a lot of like actual just problems with career mode. Like I know there was some people that had save breaking shit happen to them that seems to have been edited out mostly, but there are really little stupid things happening. Like sometimes you do a celebration after a goal and <laughs> you're there's the one part of the AI which is your player who scored who goes into his full celebration but the AI for the rest of your teammates snaps back into oh we're about to go through the replay cutscene and be back to tip off so all of them start just walking back instead of celebrating the goal they all just start wandering back towards the centre circle to get back in position instead of being happy that they just won a fucking European Cup final or something like that it's like they predicted what it would be like with people celebrating during Covid like they they nailed it socially distanced yeah um there is uh, stuff like players' names just randomly disappear from graphics or uh, statistics don't hold over season on season. So if you like, uh, there's a cool thing that, that happens in FIFA games. So like if you're getting close to like the Premier League scoring record, uh, when it highlights a player in the middle of the game, it'll say, oh, like uh, say I've bought Lotaro Martinez. It'll say, oh, Lotaro Martinez. You know, it shows the graphic that says five uh, five away from the Premier League total of, uh, record of 32. Um, and then it'll say, you know, uh, when he scores the goal that equals it, it will tell you that in the graphic. When he sets the new record, it will tell you that as well. Um, so that stuff is cool. But uh, then st- mad stuff happens with the graphics where season on season, it forgets that he set the record. So it tells you that 32, 
is still the record or uh, more infuriatingly uh, names just disappear entirely from graphics in match presentations where it's like the goal was scored and the graphic comes up and it just says number nine massive blank space where the name should Does be. Does that mean a theory really? you could disappear Kepa from Chelsea's lineup in the game? Well, it seems for all intents and purposes looking at uh, what happens when you take shots on target that he disappeared quite some time ago, Jack. Exactly, but then if he wasn't there <laughs> actually as well, I'd be quite happy with that. Yeah, there's actually a chance that like a gust of wind might have a better shot at tipping something away from the goal than Kepa. But, the um, sandwich there was that I wrestled ch- at the start of the show <laughs> might be <Yeah>. more efficient. <laughs> from Christian O'Connell. <laughs> um Players got so disgruntled at one point that there was a trending to- uh, trending topic on Twitter, hashtag fix career mode. Uh, today, EA Sports revealed a raft of changes to career mode that certainly uh, suggests the developer has had a look at career mode with the reception to last year's effort in mind. The highlight is now the interactive match sim. So this is cool. You can, you know, like if there's a boring cup tie or something like that, that your team is just going to steamroll over. You don't want to play the full experience. You just want to set up your team, skip to the end, get the result. Um, so now you can start the match sim up and you can jump into the game at decisive moments so you can sim a game in the Champions League the graphic they use here is like Liverpool versus Dortmund so if the game is turning against you you can just hit a button hop into the match at that exact point so you could either hop in take control of the rest of the match or you could hop in for a penalty or a free kick a, a decisive uh, thing uh, you monitor the match data and make changes directly from the sim based on the match stats and your players performance levels and stats stamina it's obviously nowhere near as detailed as football managers match sim of course but it certainly looks inspired by it there's also a revamped growth system and this is something i remember specifically saying to you guys in a chat that i hate it lets you uh grow players and adapt them into different positions so you can turn right backs into right wingers or defensive midfielders into center backs you can monitor player attribute changes during training to see how your squad is progressing so it's revamping the whole training system that you can train much more specific um, attributes. Like there was always kind of, you know, you can train on stamina or short passing, things like that. But this seems to be a whole lot more detailed and being able to adapt people into positions uh, based on where you feel they should be or perhaps you have a long-term injury and need a bit of depth somewhere uh, in your squad. Career mode also has an attribute called match sharpness, which indicates how likely your players are to perform in the most crucial moments during the course of a game. So that kind of is aped from Pro Evo where ProEvo has kind of like um, its career, its Master League mode is just like it's so fucking deep by comparison where they have a thing that like, you know, a lot of players who play FIFA end up at a certain point with like they have a cup team and they have a Premier League team and just, you know, depending on the match, you're switching all 11 out rather than kind of making two or three subs in between games, you know, based on who's the most tired. So this game is going to make that, a much more difficult process if you're not playing regularly then you are not going to have match sharpness and your star players are not going to be effective if they've been rested for two or three games you, um, as opposed to if they've been playing every week can you do a thing now where say you get um you you make a, a first 11 for your team and then you save that yeah. first 11 and then you yes. say you make a couple 11 so that that is an option yeah. Yeah, you literally, uh, I have it, I, like on my career mode, I always do it. I have the first 11 at United, we'll say, and then the cup team uh, on what's called team sheets. And literally, you can change all 11 players. You can change to your cup team by just going to the 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 screen that shows your formation and just knocking the right stick to the right. It immediately just switches. Brilliant. Like, that's how easy I it mean, is. I don't so, want to have to individually but, swap Mishi Bashawai in. I want no. to do it all at once. Oh, God. 
yeah you can do that uh, i know in pro evo it's even more dynamic where you're able to get the computer to automatically select your team by form and by who needs uh, a game and things like that um also of note something that had been in career mode and just disappeared a few years ago it's going to let you make loan to buy offers with optional or mandatory future transfer fees um you can customize your career mode with initial setup options so it's going to let you toggle the difficulty of transfer negotiations as well as the frequency that transfers happen sometimes things get a bit out of control and players just fucking move everywhere all the time so you're gonna be able to toggle that sort of stuff they're calling it the authentic transfer system um and there's going to be more kind of debt to the financial takeover perk that you can get in the shop that that kind of gives your if you're picking a kind of uh, lowly team that needs a bit of a financial leg up. There's going to be more depth uh, to, to how that works. So this all they're making the right noises. We'll have to wait. Um, there's going to be more information on it throughout the month of August. And I believe the game drops towards the end of September if uh, tradition is right. So they really need a strong hand going into this year because Pro Evo has decided to do the more cost effective for players route of uh, PES 2021 is just a, a massive update to PES 2020. It's like kind of a, C a DLC season pass kind of thing that you just you pay less than the price of a full game and it upgrades the game to PES 2021. So, um, you know, uh, by comparison, FIFA is going to have to do a whole lot to try and not make people go, well, you know, I could just have this game that's on the cheap and pay a little Dave, extra. Is that what retrospectively, you know? like, can I get ISS 64 to... Uh, oh, if only. You know, it won't retrospect. Oh, okay. That's a shame. If only. Would you not get? Would you not knock out? Uh, is it Pez Five has Drogba on the cover? It it was yeah, yeah. Uh, Pez Four, John JT Terry, and who's it? There was an Arsenal player and Henri on there, wasn't it? Henri, yeah, yeah. I think Pez Five is the one that was like wall to wall Chelsea branding though, because it was the one where they got the actual license for the Chelsea kit. Yeah. Um, we, we just won the league, and we just had Peter Kenyon take over as chief exec, so he was yeah. marketing the brand, signing them deals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the same thing for United, though. So you know. Yeah, in fairness. Um, right, the final story, and one that Jack has been uh, eagerly awaiting. World peace was briefly achieved, and that was in Metal Gear Solid Five on the PS3. Um, Jack, what did you know about the... Did you get uh, so far into the post-game that the nuclear disarmament stuff was happening? And, and if so, do you want to kind of explain it? <laughs> yeah, so you just basically have to... Any nukes that exist within the game, you have to uh, make sure that you disarm. Essentially, like that—that that is literally it. Like, you get to the point where you're in the base building section, and you—you know—you have a bunch of soldiers, and you can send them out on missions and, and go and capture nukes and and bring them back to your mm. your. I can't remember what the name of the base is. Like home base or outer heaven. Sorry, outer heaven. <laughs> no, I don't. It's not called that. Is it your actual base? That's uh, yeah, it. That's Metal Gear Solid one is it not? oh no it's oh fuck hold on i'm gonna find out i think out. it's just called home base or home something like that uh and yeah you can disarm nukes um by doing these missions but they had a mode where uh they wanted everybody that played in the world to mother base mother base that was it not home base um yeah and have no nukes left and then there was a cutscene that they've made specifically to to like roll out when that happened but the problem is everyone stopped playing metal gear solid 3 so it just was never going to come and it was only like what a year or two after it came out that some uh, pc gamer like hacked into the 
uh, the source data for the game and found this cutscene and uploaded it to YouTube. Like, this is what happens, you know, Snake sort of weeping and saluting at the fact that there was no more uh, nukes and there were going to be no more wars and stuff in the world of world peace they finally managed to get there but it was just such an unachievable goal that it seemed like on the ps3 but dave you're going to tell me that they managed to get there yeah so on yeah as uh jack alluded to metal gear solid 5 the phantom pain's nuclear disarmament cutscene has finally been unlocked legitimately this time it seems after five years half a decade on it's hard to believe it's five years since that game fans seem to have achieved a global tally of zero nukes on the game's ps3 version which unlocks the hidden cutscene showing a celebration attended by snake and his pals of course this cutscene has been seen before it was found as jack alluded to hidden in the game around the time of its release and actually got unlocked by accident in february 2018 on oh, PC. Was it? Yeah, the PC was the accident one. Yeah, prompting an apology by Konami and a pledge to investigate. Um, Konami originally set the nuclear disarmament challenge live in November 2015 when it detailed the conditions necessary. A concerted effort on most platforms then followed to reduce the number of nukes worldwide, but complete disarmament was never achieved. So what's next then? World peace for more platforms? Well, it's not all good news. Despite it being a global total of zero nukes on ps3 a few days ago stat tracker mgs5 nuke watcher states that the number has now risen again to 45 the fight for peace is never over can i just say i'm very disappointed you completely yeah. glossed over the concept of kojima <laughs> being inspired by home base <laughs> yeah he just yeah. needs a he just needs some nails and a few <laughs> can of paint so uh he's just got sort of that patio you know yeah you know yeah I can imagine Kojima like a sort of moderately sized patio. Uh, I I just love how um... that that is all I have to input for this. By the way, I I have nothing to add. So I just know, but I love the absurdity of this. Like this is as Kojima as it gets. You know that he would put, even if it wasn't necessarily yeah. his idea, that something this mm. awkward would exist in his last offering at, at Konami. That people are still doing five years later trying to figure it out. It, it tickles me that, uh, you know, it equally tickles me that, that, you know, this happens five years on, but it's also a stark reminder. It's like, God, I would have, I would give anything to see how he actually wanted that game to finish. Yeah. You know, there was, I think, was it one to, there was one mission and an original version of the post game that he never got to. Um, and that was kind of when people were digging around the nuclear disarmament stuff. I, I think people had worked themselves into a shoot for a few months when it came out, saying that there was going to be an additional secret mission, either as DLC or somewhere buried in the game that might unlock after this disarmament happens or something. But alas, it has never been the, the case and we will never. It kind of felt like um, a fucking Last Lord of the Rings movie in that there was like so many endings for the game. It's like whenever you thought you completed it, you hadn't. Yeah, you get through this like big long campaign. It finally finishes. Um, you defeat the Metal Gear, and then you find out you're only actually after finishing Act One. Yeah. <laughs> and then like Act Two is just like another twenty hours of subsistence missions and shit like that. Um, yeah. It's the old Symphony of the Night. You'd finish the castle, and then suddenly the castle flips upside yeah. down, and you have to do the whole fucking. It's thing not again. dissimilar. Konami as well. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But th- there are some games that uh, that makes me like I'm really excited that will pop Pokemon huge for, like I.e. Pokemon yeah. Gold and Silver. Yeah, like, I that is the obvious choice. Whereas with Metal Gear Solid, 
five. I, I feel like I finished it three or four times, but to this day, if anyone asks me if you complete it, I'm like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there was like some final, final scene, wasn't there, with Snake like on top of a mountain yeah. listening to his tapes. Uh, I don't think I ever unlocked uh, it. Was, it, it was, was it not the one that was in front of the mirror? I, this is my point, Dave. I don't know. I played the yeah. game for a hundred hours and I still don't know. <laughs> There's a scene that brings everything full circle. Uh, that's kind of the what everybody says is the actual ending of the story where it ends with him in the mirror. It's after the reveal of who he actually yeah. is. Um, and he plays the cassette tape that is the mission brief from the original Metal Gear on the MSX. Yeah. To bring the frame full circle so that is considered the like the canon story ending of it there's a couple of other scenes that come up though yeah there there, there are scenes that kind of fill in some detail but in terms of like actually progressing things not 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 really so much i am too warm and do not have the patience to go through all of these fucking endings yeah there's way more stuff in like act two with like people on uh mother base turning on each other and uh, and getting sick and things like that um but yeah it's a it's a game i'll tell you that <laughs> go back way back to 2015 to hear me and jack i think the first time we ever shared the air together uh properly uh doing a book club on metal gear right after we had both beaten it and before the updates to the game beat us down and made us I, stop playing i just it. fell out of love with it so much i don't think i've ever loved a game and then my opinion of it has gone down as quickly as metal gear solid 5 yeah. my my opinion of the experience has not changed but because of what they've done to it i will i am unlikely to replay it any year oh, soon. i loved playing it so much like the, the open world the two yeah. nations that you had and going around on horse ah oh, the dog mm. how cool was the dog and that just yeah oh. and and being able to say shalashaska a lot uh yeah right before we drive uh mark insane we'll we'll draw a line under it there um oh, a well, huge we're not gonna completely review metal gear solid 2's postmodernist no uh... no we're not <laughs> no, I. If you look, I've already watched Matthew Matosis does a great uh, uh, analytical piece on YouTube. So I've already, I've already seen it. I already know it. We're good. That is the one Metal Gear Solid play, game you should play, Mark. I have if played it. I have play- played MGS two. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. I mean, it's fine. Do it again. You know? It's all right. <laughs> um, right. Look, we'll draw a line under it there, and we'll hold the the MGS five post-mortem for the next time Mark displeases <laughs> us. I've got a lot of takes on MGS4 that I've never got out as I well. I haven't... You can fuck right off, because, like, <laughs> MGS2 is interesting enough. MGS3, I mean, I, I find it really slow, but still, there's some stuff that I like about it. Uh, no, no, there are no good takes on MGS4. We have we have two MGS games left that we'll have to re- resurrect the book club for. Uh, we got to one, three, and five. The even number of ones have. I'm stunned you never did two. Um, I can't wait to do four. We, we we shoot had two lined up with absolute emoji legend Keith Brony to come on the show and review it with us, and it just never happened. We had we had the two of them lined up. I I think it was oh, were you was it when you were in China. I can't remember. I remember we were trying to rush before you were back on the show to get both of them done so you couldn't stop us. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, it just, the recording session, just, we never, fa- I think we had a big technical error when we tried to do four, and then we just never got round to redoing it or doing two. But anyway, 
for the third time I'm going to try and draw this podcast <laughs> to a close thank you very much everybody for tuning in again uh, a big link to the cast to return our part two of the Euro special is forthcoming at some stage when schedules permit uh, until then we will be here with our regularly scheduled programming every week or so um at link to the cast is where you need to go on twitter see all the show notes links chat with us on there tell us what you think of the show what kind of stuff we should be covering or what you thought of how we covered things on the show itself all feedback greatly appreciated especially praise uh, individually i'm at the day to dave mark is at mark robinson x2 jack is at jack lazel uh, we shall see you again hopefully next week for another link to the cast <laughs>